This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Fathers, we come before you today. We pray that you'll help us to understand this very long passage about what Peter did as he moved from the Jew to the Gentile. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you a racist? Are you a prejudiced person? Do you discriminate against people who are not like you? I think that deep down inside, deep, deep down inside where people really can't see, I think many of us, including myself, have racist tendencies. We are prejudiced and we tend to like to mix with people who are like us. The question is, does it matter now that we are Christians? Does the Bible actually speak to us about this? Does it transform us in any way to have the Holy Spirit? Now, over the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've seen that God has a, a master plan. A master plan to bring good news of Jesus Christ into the world, and for all people to be saved. So at the end of Luke, Jesus Christ said that it is written that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And the book of Acts actually is a fulfillment of Jesus' plans, because in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again, after he's risen from the dead, he told his disciples, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we've been seeing over the last few weeks in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts is that these are not just random plans of God and Jesus. These things are actually promises which are being fulfilled. And we've seen, if you look up here on the slide, we've got many slides today, and they've got some animation. Okay, so, okay, so is it, can you see anything? We can't see anything at all now. Okay, but you, but you should imagine a map up there. And when you see this map, you can actually see Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and you can actually see that the gospel is actually moving out into the world. But the problem is that as we've come to Acts chapter 10, there is this barrier or force field or invisible fence which is stopping the gospel from moving out of Judea, Samaria, and from Jerusalem into the ends of the world, to the Gentiles. It's like trying to tear down the Great Wall of China with your bare hands. It's just... Physically, humanly impossible. And the reason is because there is this great barrier between the Jew and the Gentile. Now, this barrier was actually based on positive and negative values. The positive value was God's law. Because of God's law and the observance of Jewish food laws, ceremonial food practices, it meant that the Jew could not mix with the Gentile. We'll see a bit more about that as we go along. But negatively, these laws had also created among the Jews this sense of superiority, of racism, of discrimination against the Gentiles. So this... Oh, okay, so you need to look at the map. Okay, next one. Okay, don't worry, don't worry about this one. We'll just keep going on. Okay, next one. Next one. Next one. Okay, here it is. Okay. So good, make, 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 uh, clicking some more. 
Okay. Maybe you okay, you stand there, lah. It's okay, you okay. Just stand there. Yeah, just quit kicking away. So this wall prevents the Gentiles from being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this barrier. Now, as we come to today's chapter, it begins in actually chapter 9, verse 32 to 43. And actually chapter 9, verse 40, 32 to 43 is a very interesting narrative which many commentators just completely miss out. And in many ways, if you were writing the book of Acts, it's kind of weird that you have this section here because you've got Paul, as we heard last week from Noah, as the apostle to the Gentiles, and then you've got Peter here who's reaching out to the first Gentile, and now you've got this strange section with two miracles. It's almost as if you could remove verse 32 to verse 43 and you would never miss it at all. So why does Luke bother to tell us about these two miracles? I think the reason is because these two miracles are meant to remind us of the highest order of miracles that Jesus did apart from the resurrection of the dead. Jesus healed the paralyzed man and he walked. Jesus raised the dead. And here we have Peter himself doing exactly what Jesus did at the highest order. So in chapter 9, if you look at the next slide, you see that as Peter raised up Aeneas the paralytic, Aeneas, he said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and take, up, take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says the same thing. Right, when he speaks to the paralyzed man in verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he'd been lying on and he went home praising God. See, notice this word immediately. Both Peter and Jesus healed these paralyzed men and immediately they were healed. But it wasn't just that Peter raised this paralyzed man to walk again. He raised the dead. So here in chapter 9 verse 40, Peter sent everybody out of the room and turning to the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Again in Luke chapter 8, this is exactly what happened when Jesus raised the dead. Again, there were people who were mourning and wailing over the dead girl. And they were laughing at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But Jesus took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up and Jesus told them to get her something to eat. So Luke is not telling us these two events for fun. You know, I mean, obviously, the paper or the papyrus that the book of Acts was written in was very expensive. He didn't have time to just, you know, randomly write thoughts that popped into his head. The reason why we were told these things is because we are meant to see that Jesus is working in a very an authoritatively way in Peter. Because if this wall, this indestructible barrier between the Jew and the Gentiles be destroyed, it will not just take the authority of the apostle, Peter, but it would take the authority of Jesus himself speaking through and in Peter. So after we've been authenticated in the sense of seeing Jesus working in Peter, we come to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, in the first scene, we are at Caesarea. So let's look at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. 
He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, in this first scene, we are introduced to Cornelius, and Cornelius is a true blue Gentile in every way. He has a Latin name, he is a Roman soldier, he is from the Italian regiment. Now, if you look at the map up here, you will see that so far, up to Acts chapter 9, everybody who we have read about, who we have heard about, has in some way been in the fringes of Judaism or is within the Jewish religion. Right, so they were in Jerusalem, they were in Judea, we read about the Sumerian, who are also sort of partly Jews, the Ethiopian, he was a convert to Judaism. But here for the very first time outside in Caesarea, which is at the top of the map, we're looking at someone who has got no Jewish blood. He's not circumcised, he would not be welcomed into the temple in Jerusalem. But we read that he was a religious man, a God-fearing man. He prayed to God regularly, and he gave to the poor. So we want to boil down this character, Cornelius. He is a Gentile who is earnestly seeking God. He was a sincere seeker of God. And God wants to save him. The problem is he doesn't know Jesus. You know That's the, the usual way people are saved. You look, up, look for God, you need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, you become saved. The problem is, Cornelius doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. At 3 p.m., which is the normal time of prayer, we find Cornelius praying. He's a devout man. He prays regularly to God. And this time, something strange happens because God sends an angel to speak to Cornelius. And he tells Cornelius, you need to go to Joppa. If you look at the map, Joppa is down south, is on the coast. Now Joppa is on the coast, the beaches are the same, the oceans are the same, the breeze is the same, but it has one thing different in Joppa that you can't find in Caesarea. It is not the Joppa Prata, it is the good news of Jesus Christ found in Peter. Now, the problem is that because of this indestructible war between the Jew and the Gentile, even if Cornelius sends 100 of his soldiers to, to bring Simon up to Caesarea, Peter probably wouldn't want to come because of that barrier of the food laws and Jewish pride. So at the end of the first scene, we are, we've left with a Gentile earnestly seeking God who needs salvation, but he doesn't have the good news of Jesus Christ. So we come down to the second scene, the second vision, so to speak. About noon, the, the next day, the following day, after the, these men had been sent on their journey and they were approaching the city, Jesus, sorry, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I've never eaten anything impure and unclean. Then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now in the second scene we are introduced to Simon Peter. And Peter has the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that Cornelius has a great need for salvation. So usually those two things, as we've been reading all through Acts, should come together, right? It's a bit like a, I don't know, maybe I keep thinking about food now, right? It's like a bit like, like kaya and toast, right? It must come together. But the problem is that Peter would find it very hard to put down in his uh, time sheet or timetable or calendar, meet Cornelius in Caesarea because of the barrier of that food laws. And Jewish pride. So while he's praying, Peter, on his roof, having his quiet time, he sees a vision of a sheet coming down with all sorts of animals, and it's like the NTUC fair price of all sorts of food on this sheet. And the words come from God. Actually, it's not really God, actually. If you look at this passage, I don't really like how the Bible gives you all these red and black you know, red and black uh, uh, shading, right? You know, red for Jesus, black for, you know, the rest of the thing, because it's all God's word. But but I think the, the red lettering here is correct, because the voice is the voice of Jesus telling Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And these words, kill and eat, are active verbs, divine commands. They're not suggestions or ideas or proposals. Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, is telling Peter, the apostle, kill and eat these animals. Now, you would normally expect Peter to obey Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what the apostle is meant to do, obey Jesus Christ. But Peter, in verse 14, says, Surely not, Lord. Surely not. I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. Now this shows you the, the psychological and emotional and visceral barrier that, that Peter has in terms of breaking through this barrier to the Gentiles. Because all his, all his life, Peter would have never eaten anything against the food laws that God had put. So Leviticus chapter 11 if you look up here, God had given his people, Israel, very specific commands about the types of food they could eat. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof, completely divided, that chews the cud. And the pig, though it has a split hoof, completely divided, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses, they are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and in the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But of all the creatures 
in the seas and streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swimming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. See, this was part of the separateness or distinctiveness of Israel. So there's some things that have never passed the lips of Peter. Chili crab. Oloa. Chasu. Chuck's fin. Spare ribs. All these things Israel, Peter had never eaten before because Israel was meant to be distinct and set apart from the other nations. So Leviticus chapter 20 verse 25, we're sort of given a reason for these. So it says in verse 25, You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those which I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. But look at God's answer, or sorry, Jesus' answer to to Peter's rejection. In verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, on top of the commands to kill and to eat, Peter is given a third command, do not call, do not regard, do not consider Things unclean that God has made clean. And three times this divine command is given. Kill, eat, do not call. Kill, eat, do not call. Kill, eat, do not call. Now I think theologically what is happening here is in the past, uh, God's people were meant to draw the nations to, to itself because it was distinct and holy and different. So I think... It's meant to be centripetal, right? Oh no, you're moving too slowly. You've got to move faster. The next one. Next one, click again. To the next slide. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's meant to be, it's meant to be centripetal, right? In the sense where the God's holy people in Israel, by being holy and distinct, were meant to draw the nations to itself. And that's what we saw, right? In Solomon's time, in, you know, in the time of David, people came to Israel. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, it seems as if now God's people are meant to be centrifugal. That means that they're meant to go out into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And therefore, God has now removed this legal injunction distinguishing between clean and unclean foods. Because if Peter can eat anything, then he can meet anyone. If Peter can meet can eat everything, he can mix with everyone. But it's a very difficult thing for Peter the Jew because Cornelius needed only one vision and he said, okay, I'm going to Joppa to get Peter, right? Peter had three visions and he's still thinking about what's happening. <laughs> but eventually, as we turn to the third scene in verse 23 onwards, Peter makes his way up to Joppa to meet with the people. So in verse 23, Peter starts off and he moves off to meet with Cornelius. Cornelius is meeting him with all the relatives. And we can see the, the humility 
and the reverence of Cornelius, because he bows down before Peter, but Peter says, no, stand up, I'm only a man. And in verse 27, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with and visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Now, if you notice here, the breakthrough verse comes in verse 28. Uh, okay, next slide. Okay, the verse 28 one. The verse 28. Okay. Because Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now what's happening here, right? Because what he saw was food that was unclean, but yet the conclusion that Peter arrives at is that there is no one, there is no person that is unclean. So what's happening here is that God has shown him that what is happening in terms of the vision is much more than just food. Because the food has greater implications on Jew-Gentile relationships. You see, there is this law of transmission that is at work when it comes to unclean things. So let's say I see a dead animal, okay, and I touch that dead animal, I become unclean. You come and shake my hand, you become unclean, and if someone touches you, that person becomes unclean. Right? So that's the way it works. Um, it's a bit like, okay, when you go to the hawker center, right, there is a, if you notice and you pay attention, and you should be returning your trays and your cutlery at the hawker center, but you notice there's always a halal and a non-halal tray return section. The reason is because there is a transmission thing happening here. The food, which is clean or unclean, transmits itself to the plates and the forks and the spoon. If you mix things up, they become unclean. But for the Jewish understanding, it went even further than that because if the food is unclean, then the forks and the spoons become unclean, then the plates become unclean, then the people who eat it become unclean, the house they live in is unclean, the whole town is unclean. So I can't go and visit someone because I can become unclean myself. But Peter says that now that he understands the vision, God is actually saying that it's not just the food that is no longer unclean, but there is no unclean people. So that allows Peter to go into the house of Cornelius and preach the message to him. And the message is, is quite a basic message which follows what we've been reading in the book of Acts so far, but with one important difference, I think. So basically, if you look up here on the slide, okay, Peter preaches that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is judge after he was risen from the dead, and Jesus is Savior. But if you read very carefully... The emphasis as well is that Jesus is not just Lord, but he is the Lord of all. That Jesus is not just the judge, he is judge of the living and the dead. That Jesus is not just the saviour of the Jews, but of everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness in his name. Now, while this after-dinner speech is being given by Peter, he's interrupted suddenly. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes down on the Gentiles. 
Now, what's probably happened is, in verse 43, he's preaching about how everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Gentiles, Cornelius, his relatives, his friends, they believe in Jesus. And while Peter is speaking these words, the Holy Spirit comes on all those who heard the message because they heard and then they believed. Now, why does this happen? Because, you know, last week we saw that, you know, the, the Holy Spirit coming comes at all sorts of random times. Before people are baptized, you know, as they're baptized, I mean, it's like, comes, Holy Spirit is very fickle, right? Comes whenever He feels like it. But why does the Holy Spirit come now? It seems as if God is doing something very deliberately because when the Holy Spirit comes, it's authenticating the fact that there is no longer a barrier, a wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. See, look very carefully. In verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. See, the Jews were not surprised about the giving of the Holy Spirit. They were surprised of the giving of the Holy Spirit even on the Gentiles. Because the question that really we have to ask is, would Peter have baptized Cornelius and his relatives if the Holy Spirit didn't come? Who knows, right? But maybe not. right? Because this Jewish idea of their, their superiority in terms of, of salvation issues was so strong. If you think, uh, this is an inscription that is found outside the temple courts, right? which actually said that the Gentiles were warned on pain of death to go into the, the temple because it was always felt that if the Gentiles come into the temple, then God would strike them down. So the idea always was that the Jews had a much closer relationship with God than the Gentiles ever did. The Jews had a special access to God that the Gentiles never had. But here now, God himself, his Holy Spirit, had come into the midst of the Gentiles themselves. And that's why Peter says, Surely, in verse 47, no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. The Holy Spirit coming, in a sense, forces Peter's hand and authenticates the fact that they, the Jews, are not special. There is no wall between the Jew and Gentile. They are all equally saved in Jesus Christ. And then they are baptized in recognition of that fact. Now, as we come to this passage, what is the application for us? Because, you know, what does it mean for us today in Singapore? I think that as we look at this passage, we, we need to see very powerfully that God is breaking down all the walls between all men and women in terms of salvation and the bringing of the gospel. See, if you look at this passage, God is working in such a supernatural way. Uh, the healings of Peter, the visions, the angels, the coincidences, Jesus speaking in his own voice to Peter. 
And every one of these things is actually sending out the message that God does not want any walls between anybody in terms of salvation and the preaching of the gospel. See, imagine how far would the gospel of Jesus Christ have gone if the Jew-Gentile wall had not been destroyed. How many Chinese people in Singapore would be saved today? How many Indian people? How many Caucasians? How many Australians or English? No, nobody would be saved. The only people who would be saved would be within the walls of Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria. So God is in the business of breaking down walls between all races, cultures, languages, and people. But the sad thing is that many Christians are not transformed in this thinking to think with a Christian mind that people still put up walls between people in terms of salvation, in terms of fellowship. I remember in Australia, I heard of a Caucasian pastor who was criticized by his own congregation because he was evangelizing and reaching out to the overseas students on campus. I know even in Singapore, I've personally heard of Asian pastors who are criticized for trying to, to be reaching out to, to foreigners. And in my previous church, I was very sad when a church elder mocked a new believer who was an Indian man. See, because God is in the business of destroying walls, then as Christians, we cannot be erecting and putting up walls between different races, nationalities, accents, skin color, hair color, eye color, culture. We should actually be taking very seriously this message that actually God saves everyone and He wants us to reach out to everyone. And what's very interesting is actually, as we notice when Meepo read, right, this is the longest section in the whole of the book of Acts. Right? And, and it's, it's so long for a reason because God takes very seriously uh, this idea of how there should no longer be walls between people. So as a test, when you pray, who do you pray for? Do you pray for people who are different from you? When is the last time you pray for someone who is different from you? Speaks a different language, is a different race, different culture, different nationality. When is the last time you prayed for someone like that? When you share the gospel, when is the last time you shared the gospel with someone who was different from you? I remember this Peanuts cartoon. Uh, right? And, um, it's, you know, it's like, uh, what those people call again? Linus and... What's Lucy and Linus, right? So Lucy is saying to Linus, you know, you want to be a doctor, ha, huh? that's a big laugh, right? You could never be a doctor, you know why? Because you don't love mankind, that's why. I love mankind, but as people I can't stand. So, I think as Christians, many of us have a an intellectual uh, nod to the truth. Yes, you know, we need to love the world. The gospel goes out to the world. But the the problem is that in practice, we, we don't love people. We, we still build up walls between people. We, pull, we still put barriers between people. And this passage tells us very powerfully that there should no longer be any walls or barriers between us and people. So one thing I would like to suggest to you 
Here's a uh, next slide. This is the operational world, which is very helpful. It helps you to pray to the whole world. Even if you don't get to meet with other people, I think you can pray for other people. I think this is on the net, or you can buy the hard cover or the soft cover or whatever. But we should take very seriously that God's master plan is for the gospel to go to all nations. And we too need to reach out to all nations, and that means that we have to love all people. And that means people different from us. And we shouldn't have walls with other people. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that we may take to heart what we have learned today, that we should not build up barriers or walls between people of different races, cultures, skin color, hair color, language, but rather we should see that in Jesus Christ, there are no longer any walls or barriers between us and other people. That Jesus Christ equally died for them, the Holy Spirit equally can reside in them, and they too deserve the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we pray that we will not be building up walls, but rather tearing them down in our heart individually and corporately as a church to keep praying and reaching out to people different from us. And we pray for all these things near Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.